Healthcare is complicated, but you don't have to navigate the complexities alone. Care Allies collaborates with physician organizations to solve some of the toughest challenges on the path to value-based care. As your organization works to effectively manage your more vulnerable patient populations, enhance outcomes, and improve data analytics, Care Allies brings the people, technology, and processes to support you so you can focus on practicing medicine. Visit careallies.com to see how they can help to radically simplify value-based care. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor with MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Corner. It's a podcast where uh, the MGMA membership gets to know uh, the MGMA consultants and hear their stories and the kind of things they're working on and perhaps even their expertise where they might even fit with your practice as well. So joining us today is Tracy Bird. So Tracy, welcome to the MGMA Consultants Corner podcast. Thank you, Daniel. I'm honored to be here today and hope I can bring some, a little nugget of information that someone can use. Well, I'm going to go back into your, uh, memory banks here. You were sharing a really cool story with me that I think just about everybody in our uh, listening audience can um, identify with. You were telling me that your dad worked at Hallmark, and um, I don't know anybody who doesn't know what Hallmark is. What what was that like? Did you get like the inside scoop on all the good cards that were going to be coming out, or what happened with that? You know, that is, that's really interesting. So, that tells you where I live, which is Kansas City. Um, my dad worked at, uh, because their head, Hallmark is headquartered here. And growing up, um, not so much. He was in charge of new product development. Okay. And he would he would bring home, you know, a few, like the Springbok puzzles, if anybody's been around long enough to remember that them. You know, he would bring home some prototypes of those kinds of things or when uh, the they had the beautiful wooden pen and pencil sets. But it was really funny. I remember as a teenager, I had gone to the mall one day shopping and there was a little kiosk in the mall and this guy stopped me and said, oh, hey, we want to uh, show you our product. And it was some stationery. And he said, we'd like to take your picture. And we put this picture it actually is on the the piece of stationery, and I said, "Oh, okay." You know, I was you know what sixteen or something, and and so I did that, and they showed me this lovely how they make this stationery, and a, a couple of weeks later, my dad came home and told the story that that company had approached Hallmark about that product. And here on this piece of stationery was his own daughter's picture. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he got a kick out of that. We we all did. That was not a product that Hallmark uh, put in their line, but it was a funny story. What a, what a wonderful story and insight into who you are and 
Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. It's just always so good to get to know um, the people behind all of their expertise. Uh, so it's good to get that little snapshot of you and your, your childhood. So let's talk about MGMA consulting and kind of where you've been. So looking over your uh, LinkedIn page, that's where we get to know uh, some, sort of the business side of people these days. Um, it says that you've got over 40 years of healthcare management and consulting experience. So again, I want to dip into sort of the history here. You've got this wealth and breadth of knowledge about healthcare, but what led you to it in the first place? When did you turn your back on Hallmark and being on postcards and decide to go into healthcare instead? You know, that that's a great story. I, it was by accident, actually, okay. Daniel. So I um, had graduated from college okay. and my degree uh, is in uh, retailing and mm -hmm. merchandising. Okay. So my plan was to be a buyer for a a big, uh, you know, department store chain, and I was going to go off to New York, and you know that. Well, that didn't happen. I got, I married my high school sweetheart. Okay. He had just gotten out of the Navy and wanted to go back to college, so we ended up back in the small community where I graduated. Obviously, no opportunities for fashion merchandising mm -hmm. in a small town, so I went to work in a pediatric office. And back then, that was in the mid-70s. I hate to date myself. I, I keep thinking perhaps I would take 40 years off my resume because people know how I'm an old lady. But, um, you know, back then it was pre-computer days. So everything okay. was done manually. We made appointments in this giant appointment book for our five doctors, you know, uh, had paper charts. We did all the filing. Uh, they taught me the billing piece, which was done on ledger cards and green bar paper. And so, it, but I fell in love with medicine and one of the pediatricians, it, you know, doctors love to teach anyway, but this one in particular loved, uh, he, he really, I treasured him because I asked a lot of questions and he was always more than willing to give me guidance and direction and, and tell me about you know, the practice of healthcare, even though it has changed, you know, it doesn't even look like its former self anymore. But um, so that's really where I got, uh, I was hooked from then on. So then my further pursuits were uh, once we left that community and came back to Kansas City, I um, began, um, you know, looking for jobs in healthcare. And okay. it's actually interesting. I interviewed at a uh, orthopedic practice and I went in to sit down with the administrator and the nameplate on his desk uh, had F-A-C-M-P-E hmm. after his name. Okay. And I asked him, what, do, what does that stand for? <laughs> and so of course, as we fellows do, he goes into this lengthy, discussion about MGMA and certification and fellowship. And, and right there that day, I decided I'm going to be one of those someday. Mm -hmm. So what a cool story. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it's a perfect segue because my goodness, Tracy, you have the alphabet soup after your name. I'm going to miss <laughs> a few, but I'm, I'm going to start reading them here. You've got a 
you've got that FACMPE. What a great accomplishment there. Got the CPC, CMPA, CEMC, and CPC-I. I, some of these, I'm just like in awe and also, wow, I hope I even get these right. So first, wow, and second, congratulations. Um, want to ask you about that because you were inspired when you saw those letters after someone's name years ago. Now that you have all those letters after your name, how has that additional education helped you as a healthcare leader, helped you grow your career um, during this time? You know, um, it wasn't until I actually became a consultant. And, and so backing up, I, uh, I did work, uh, I, I managed practices for several years and then um, got a job with a consulting firm here in Kansas City that was bought out by a professional liability insurance company um, that, but, you know, a mutual company owned by the physicians and they had a consulting division. Okay. So that started my consulting career back, oh, probably in right around 1990. Uh, I was there 25 years. And so that's when I really started amassing all of these credentials. I, do, I don't have a master's degree. Many of okay. my colleagues have master's. But as a consultant, I felt like if I'm going to be credible, I better, you know, show my due diligence. Right. So my first credential was to be a certified coder. Okay. Um, so much of the need then, uh, that's those are in those years, that's when RBRVS uh, the relative value system was being implemented. Um, you know, really, we started using coding as a way to submit claims. So all of that was changing at that time. So that's what I pursued first. And uh, then I went for my certification through MGMA and, and then on to fellowship. And then I added these other coding credentials later, uh, a certified uh, medical practice auditor and a certified evaluation and management auditor. And then I became a coding instructor. And I, you know, I just felt like, as I said earlier, that that, that just gives credibility to my ability to coach other people uh, and, you know, in their practices. Okay. It's a silly question, but I ask it to all people who are coders who I bring on here. Do you have a favorite code, a medical code? <laughs> you know, uh, well, there are some pretty interesting diagnosis codes, I, I okay. will tell you. Um, there's one in particular that makes me chuckle, and it, it's an accident code, and it is sucked into a jet engine. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> You know, they create these codes because these events happen and right, they want they to do. track they they want to track them for public health reasons. But how many people survive getting sucked into a jet engine? I, I don't know. Very but... few. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a what a story. Okay. Well, <laughs> that threw us for a loop, but that yeah. is uh to all those. <laughs> Uh, people out there, yeah. You, know, <laughs> it got, um, it, you scratch your head sometimes when you, really you read. Do. Yeah, it's 
Well, it does seem like you make a really good point that couldn't some of these things that could be, yes, we'll deal with it at some point, but they're a bit more obscure. Could they not go into a bucket of codes where you fall off a cliff or you get sucked into a chain. Oh, there are, there are all of those. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the accident section, if anybody ever gets the opportunity a few minutes to just read the codes, the, the ICD-10 codes that are in right, the right. accident section, you will see some that just make you scratch your head. But Yeah, wow. Okay, <laughs> well, um, we're going to have to have another whole episode where we just, nerd out on uh, different <laughs> obscure codes and we'll, we'll get into that. So because you have made such a concerted effort to get those credentials, to get all those letters, all the work that it took to get those letters after your name, what advice would you give to other healthcare leaders who are looking to build a career like yours? And what I mean by that is, let me expound on it. It's no secret that people are really taxed and there's there can be moments where bandwidth can be a real challenge. So how did you do that? How did you achieve all these extra credentials while also doing your job, so to speak, the day-to-day of your job and just living a life outside of the work? How did you balance all that? Well, it was tough at times. I can remember when I was working on my, I got my fellowship back when we wrote papers. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I can remember every Sunday afternoon, that was, I'd lock myself in my office at home and do my research and start writing that paper. And it took me forever, but it's a, you know, it's a personal decision if you want something badly enough, you will find the time to do it. It's a personal commitment. And that's one that I made to myself and my family obviously was okay with that because they, you know, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. (laughs) (laughs) So, but the advice that I would give to others, I think you don't necessarily, I mean, I think you have to be credible. So there has Mm -hmm. to be some personal uh, investment in your future to be able to guide and direct others yeah. as a consultant. But I really think uh, what I have tried to do is surround myself with people a whole lot smarter than myself. Okay. You know, sort of that personal board of directors, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And I have several folks that I would consider friends and colleagues that are way smarter than me in areas where I have deficits Mm -hmm. and I feel very confident and comfortable approaching them to say, help me understand this. I don't, I don't understand this. I need help. And, and so I think uh, that that has helped me over the years. And of course, when you've been in healthcare, as long as I have, you get to know a whole lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's dig in. We talked about you as a coder. Um, one of the other areas of expertise, you have many, but one of the other ones is in the rev cycle. So let's look at that a little bit. When you evaluate a practice's revenue cycle, um, are there any red flags you're on the lookout for? What are you doing when you go, you know, meet with a practice and you're examining some of those 
gaps or some of those inefficiencies they have. So what's happening in that rev cycle that catches your attention where you can then help them find some solutions and tighten up that practice? Sure. You know, typically they call and they say, they'll say, we're not sure what's going on, but our revenue is down and, and we can't figure it out. So they know already that there's a problem. So at first brush, I take a look at, um, I we generate reports from their account, you know, their accounts receivable. I run it by date of service. I want to look at the aging buckets. I want to also run it by uh, bill date or, or transaction date, Di different computer systems call it something different. It's where the money is owed at this moment. Okay. So I, I compare those two because early in my career, I learned that there are some ways to trick the systems to make them look like um, we're doing better than we are. Hmm. Um, sometimes, and, and this comes from personal experience because we had a billing service for a while at the, when I worked for the liability company and I oversaw that. And I had some pretty smart billers that mm -hmm. figured out if I just rebuild something to that same insurance company, making it look like they've had new insurance. So I'm re-aging it back to zero days that uh, my AR will look really good. So uh, that's why I look at it both ways. I look at it from data service where it truly is aged and where it is, you know, who owes it at any point in time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there are some, obviously, there's industry benchmarks that tell us, you know, uh, the AR under 60 days should be around 50 to 55 percent of the total AR and over 91 days should be, you know, less than 20 percent or right around 20 percent. That's inched up over the years because mm -hmm. of patient balances depending on the specialty too, it's going to be a little bit different. And then particularly interested in what's over 180 days, you know, by the time it gets that old, it's almost not collectible. Okay. I like to look at credit balances. I, um, then I have a real um, interest in what the front end processes are. So the revenue cycle actually starts in my view when a patient calls to make an appointment. Mm -hmm. You wanna know what insurance they have. Uh, checking eligibility and verifying benefits is a must today. And the, the one thing that I find practices, they say, oh yeah, we do that. So when I ask questions a little more deeply, it's like, so you're checking to see how much of their deductible they've met and how much coinsurance, the percent of their coinsurance. Well, no, we just let the system, the system tells us whether they have coverage or not. That's not good enough today. Hmm. We have to be as informed about the policy and benefit structure the patient has, more informed really, for us to advise them and really become that financial counselor almost. Oh, wow. To, um, to ensure on the back end that our revenue cycle is uh, that we get to the right zero. 
And when I say that, I mean, we don't want to have to write things off. We want to get all the money from the insurance company we can and any um, coinsurance that the patient has. We, we want to collect all of that. We don't want to have to write things off for timely filing or because we had the wrong insurance company or the patient, whatever it is, for any reason. So to get to the right zero, we have to make sure that our processes, even on the front end, are, are, are good. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm going to switch gears here because you just came back from, at least to me here in Denver, that sounds like a really cool consulting project. It was located in Alaska. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. So it, what? It, uh, that's so cool. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. So I, I when this this client reached out to MGMA and they wanted a practice assessment. It's a critical access hospital. They employ or contract with about thirty two providers, all lots of different specialties, which is unusual in this smaller community. And I said, do you want to do this remotely or on site? Oh, we want you to come on site. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. And of course, my husband says, you're not going to Alaska without me. Right. So, Smart guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So it was it was a I'm telling you, Daniel, if you've not been to Alaska, I have not. Uh, that that should be on everyone's bucket list. Yeah. It is absolutely the most gorgeous place on the planet. But back to your question. So this, yeah. this, um, you know, there's, there's so remote there. Mm -hmm. We don't really think of, uh, we think Alaska's a state. Yes. But, you know, they refer to the lower 48 a lot. Right, right. And what happens in Alaska, they're sort of, they really are isolated. Mm -hmm. um, you can't get anywhere uh, really unless you take a train, a boat, or an airplane. Okay. Uh, there are so many remote areas. But How did you get to this uh, air, this hospital that you consulted with? We, flying. So we okay. flew just, you know, connecting flights. We were able to fly. Okay. Um, okay. But so it just was a wonderful project. And th this group has, um, unfortunately, they have, their practices are in a lot of small little buildings, in, in some cases, little mm. houses that they've converted into huh. uh, practices. And they don't have the, the the real estate is just not enough to put them in a big building together. Mm -hmm. But uh, they have a large primary, two pretty good size, one very large primary care practice uh, with about 12 providers, uh, primary care a mix of physicians and non-physician practitioners, and then a smaller one, and then an orthopod and general surgery and OBGYN. And they're very fortunate to have a small community that has that breadth of, of um, specialists, mm -hmm. some that fly in and will be there a week at a time or two weeks at a time or come twice a month or something like that. But <clears throat> so... This, the struggle was we've grown fast and we're sort of all over the board. And we mm -hmm. have three managers that have never, um, that are fairly new 
to management and how do we coalesce them around being a management team to really give guidance and structure because uh, everybody was doing in those little practices was doing something a different way. Okay. So my job was to really uh, identify how we could streamline processes for efficiency, ensuring that everyone is working to the top of their uh, scope, license, and ability. And we identified a lot of things that doctors are doing that nurses should do. Nurses are doing that MAs should do. MAs are doing that administrative staff should be doing. So, uh, and really talking to the management team about how they become good leaders for the practices that they were responsible for. Okay. And the makeup of this practice, you were talking about how remote just the region is itself. So this is people are traveling from long distances to get here, or is it more of a community hospital? What, give us an idea of that. Yeah. That, you know, the, the catchment area, it's so interesting. So yeah, the catchment area, what has some remote areas where people do have to travel in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is so interesting. People that live in the bush mm-hmm. and, and people really do, they live off grid. Wow. Many of them. And mm-hmm. they either have to fly into the area or by boat or by train. Okay. Or, you know, they're just there aren't a, a road system. Okay. Uh really that um gets you from point A to point B. So it it's you know, they're cha- they have challenges that we mm-hmm. don't experience in the lower 48. Right. So did you stipulate that if you did go on site that it would be in the summer or did that just work out? No, actually, they are the ones that recommended June. They said June (laughs) is the best time to come to Alaska. So we uh, and we we knew several months in advance. So we planned vacation time after the project was over. Okay. Okay. What is it? completed or is it ongoing? Will you actually, go back or I did, situation? Uh, well, wouldn't that be lovely? I'd love to yeah. go back. Um, actually, I've submitted my report and okay. uh, this coming Monday, we're going to do our phone call to walk through the report and, and discuss, um, you know, the priorities. Uh, there were obviously a lot of, with that many providers and that many locations and there were a lot of recommendations. It's probably the biggest report that I've put together in a long, long time. So we'll go through it and then prioritize the things that they want to work on uh, first. And, you know, I we'll, we'll see. I don't know that they'll have me come back, but they may, you know, tap me for a resource here or there. Okay. Well, I want to ask you one final question. We touched on a lot of different things. Um, you work with all types of different practices. So um, I know this is, it's such a large general topic here to ask you about, but just wanted you to hone in on something for practices that are looking to improve, that for practices that are looking to, you know, achieve those better outcomes. 
what are just some simple steps when you meet with some leaders at, at a healthcare practice or a hospital is the one you're talking about? What are some just easy for, I don't know if anything's easy. I, remove that word from our conversation. Yeah. What are some first steps you advise them to take? You know, I think as uh, as a manager or a leader in an organization, I would say first, make sure that we do some self-reflection. Okay. That am I, ask these questions, these hard questions about yourself. Am I a good leader? What can I do to be a better leader? Am I a good communicator? Am I a good listener? You know, those things are critically important when you are, when you have teams of people that you are giving direction to. So I would say first, just that, and constantly um, evaluating that, your own leadership skills, communication, listening, and then, you know, taking a look at the overall culture of the organization and just making sure that you take steps to improve that. And that that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Culture is a whole nother conversation. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, making sure that you are doing as their leader what you need to do to improve culture. And then I think then it certainly is, um, to, you know, well, here's the here's the real deal. Uh, day to day, we feel like we put our firefighter hat on every morning and we are putting out fires all day long. But we still have to find time and put in the effort to evaluate the uh, measurable functions that are going on in the practice. You know, do I have the right number of staff for per FTE provider? Do mm-hmm. I have the right people doing the right jobs? Do I have um, revenue coming in? Where do I need to shore that up? So. Even, uh, you know, as we are putting out fires all day long, and I'll give you an example, you know, you've got the the person from the medical records department whose hair is on fire because we're out of copy paper. And the doctor who comes to you that says, I need an OR and I need it stat uh, and his hair's on fire. And it's like, okay, both of those, to those people, to those two individuals, they have a crisis. And as a manager, you have to appreciate that each of them has a crisis, you know, and deal with them both at an equal level. Even though you know that patient care comes first, right. you know, how are you going to deal with that we're out of copy paper? So, you know, it's a balance. Oh, it's a balancing act. And it is, I'll tell you, being a leader in a healthcare organization today is not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. It's a very difficult job um, to balance all of that. All right. Well, Tracy Bird, it's been way overdue. So thank you for joining us today. And we'll have you back on to talk about coding oddities and (laughs) curing culture and everything else. So thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, everyone, for the opportunity. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Consultants Corner with our guest, Tracy Bird. I'm Daniel Williams. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Bye now.
If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.